When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's podcast coming to you about two and a half months after the last podcast episode, I took a big hiatus over the summer here. There was no football talk going on, really. Not much to get me excited about. Kind of falling out of the football groove, disconnecting myself from it, focusing on other things. Big hole in my heart, obviously, missing football. The drought is the worst time of the year for me, regardless of the stuff going on outside and the things that are active in my life. I still, without football, I mean, I'm here with wife Shannon convincing her to watch Canadian Football League games or summer college games, or replays of games that have happened in the past. I made her watch an entire 2009 and 2010 Jeff Jets uh, collection of everything that happened in those two years, just to give her a little update on the last time the Jets were awesome. And it's been tough. But today, for the first time, I can finally say football is back. New York Jets football is here as the Jets are reporting to training camp. And we're lucky because the Jets are the first team in the whole league to fully report to camp. So we got practices, we got training camp, we got interviews, we got press conferences, content, people putting stuff out. It's real, it's going down, and it's an awesome time of the year. We made it through the drought. Thank goodness. So I'm back a little rusty, but I got a brew going, getting back into it, feeling good. Stretching the muscles again, getting back on that Jets train, drinking the green Kool-Aid, as always. And I got a pretty good agenda for today's podcast. We're going to do... News and notes that's going to include a couple things that happened during the break of the podcast. Some player signings, extensions. We're going to talk a little bit of hard knocks because that's big news. A couple releases and player transactions that have happened within this team. And then I didn't do a podcast following the schedule release, so I'm going to do a couple schedule notes on it. Just some thoughts that I have real quick. And then one of my favorite things to do on this show and just like in the football year is the training camp preview. Because looking at the roster, we've got 90 guys right now. I'm excited, honestly, about like 75 of them. And we have to cut that down to 53. So the training camp battles between players that are going to make the roster. And then training camp battles for guys that are fighting for either a starting spot or maybe the next man up spot. That's really big stuff. It's going to change who's healthy on game days, who's going to go to the practice squad, who's going to get cut. Are we going to pick other guys up from other teams? It's a, a really fun time of year. And we get to see all that stuff firsthand, watch the Jets compete. And then kind of litmus tests along the way for those, especially back end of the roster players, as we do our preseason games, we can see it come to fruition and be like, all right, we've heard that this guy's been having a great practice, this undrafted free agent or unknown player. And then you see them playing in the later games or the later parts of the games, staying on the field and proving themselves and getting an opportunity either with the Jets or somewhere else in the league. So I think all that stuff is really fun. And I'm looking forward to this podcast and everything that's coming up. For the New York Jets again, I mean, football is back. What a feeling. 
I feel more alive today than I have for the past two months, and I'm not even kidding. Just with the fact that I saw players rolling up to the facility today, I saw a bunch of videos of of people's thoughts on what's going on, getting some news and updates from people around the league on what's going on with the Jets roster. It's awesome. So let's get into it. Wait no longer. We do need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's part of the Fans First Sports Network, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. That's the best place to engage with me. Reach out, DM me, whatever you want to do. Um, And any review and rating, obviously, is appreciated for this show. So let's get into it. Let's start with the news around the New York Jets. And probably the biggest piece that happened during the, the podcast hiatus summer break was the signing of Adrian Amos. And this is a big one because he's coming in now that Chuck Clark has been injured and is going to be out for the entire season. Chuck Clark was going to play safety, maybe some linebacker, and do kind of a very interesting role for the Jets defense at a very high level with a lot of intelligence and communication skills. We lose him, which is a huge blow, and instantly you need to find a replacement player who can come in, play snaps, and also get at that safety spot opposite of Jordan Whitehead. So Adrian Amos at 30 years old is kind of that guy. He's played free safety and strong safety, probably foreseeing him to play a bit more free safety opposite of Jordan Whitehead in this defense, but training camp still going to come. we got position battles to go, right? He's still got to earn that spot. But he's played both positions, played for the Bears and the Packers. So he was most recently with the Packers, another one of those guys coming over with Alan Lazard, Billy Turner, Randall Cobb, Aaron Rodgers, one more Packer joining the crew. And the biggest thing about Adrian Amos is he's a reliable player. Right, And because he can play both positions, you know he can cover and he can tackle. He actually had his career-high tackles last year with 102. But the biggest thing is his durability. And we need somebody that we can trust on that back end. The way that, believe it or not, somehow last year we came to trust LaMarcus Joyner to not get beat deep. It's a very important position because when you keep guys from going deep on you, it's like, okay, whatever, you're doing your job. When you mess it up and you blow coverage and they get something big, that's when it's like, okay, you screwed up. It's kind of like a kicker. You hate them more when they screw up than you love them when they do the right thing. And Adrian Amos is a veteran. And if he can stay on the field and be that guy to build communication with the defensive backs, with the whole defense, make sure that everything stays clean with no big defensive breakdowns and communication breakdowns, that's perfect. And Amos has started every single game for the past five years. So he's a guy that we rely on, that we should be able to rely on to be there for the entire season. And that's what you're looking for. Get a veteran, 30 years old, knows what he's doing, knows some of the players, can come over here and just provide consistent play. And then if one of these young guys can beat him out and play at an even higher level, so be it. That would be great, right? But if not, at least we know we've got a proven commodity that can do the job at a solid level. Adrian Amos is only signing for one year, $1.75 million. It's a $500,000 signing bonus, and we feel good about it. Another defensive back that's joining the fray You may remember Javelin Guidry from his previous tenure with the Jets. He played here for a few years, was a good, scrappy, kind of backup nickel cornerback that worked his way up, eventually started some games, played good special teams as well, and he's coming back to the Jets to try to make this roster again. And when you look at our cornerback room, obviously Michael Carter's going to start at nickel cornerback. Obviously DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner are going to start outside, but then behind them, it's those, you know, Bryce Halls and a bunch of rookies, and then who's really going to make it to the finish line. And if somebody goes down, who's going to play and are we going to be able to trust them? I know that typically backup nickel cornerback isn't something the Jets always carry. Last year they didn't. 
but I think that Javelin Gidry's ability to play on special teams may earn him that opportunity. So nice to see Javelin Gidry back. He's one of those training camp battles to watch. We also signed an offensive tackle from the Patriots named Yadni Kajust. He's played there. He's actually a decent player, but he's had a lot of injuries. Another guy that we have for our offensive line that you can't really trust to be available every single game, but you know what? He's got some ability if he can stay healthy. So that offensive tackle room is kind of a a jumbled mess right now where we don't know exactly who's going to be starting, at which position they're going to be starting, and who's going to be the guys right behind them, how many games they're going to have to play. We're going to figure that stuff out. We're going to talk about offensive tackle as one of those training camp battles to watch as well. But Yadni Kajust, welcome to the Jets. In more negative news, this one really pains me to say, um, we're finding out that the New York Jets, apparently per Brian Costello, are planning to release Denzel Mims if they can't find a trade partner for him. So they're going to try to move Denzel Mims as they kind of refused, they said, to trade him last year. They were looking for some pretty good compensation. Maybe some teams were calling. They said, we don't want to give up on him just yet. Now with this new offensive coordinator, new quarterback in the building, a couple new wide receivers in the room, Denzel Mims is expendable. And the Jets are looking to get either a sixth-round pick or a seventh-round pick for him if they can, maybe a pick swap with a worse team. They're not going to get much for Denzel Mims at this point. And the fact that they said they're going to release him if they don't kind of just makes teams think, all right, well, then we'll just wait until he gets cut, and then we'll try to sign him and not trade anything away. So it's sad to see because Denzel Mims was the guy that I was so high on him coming out of Baylor. He was one of the guys that I wanted in the first round. Then the Jets trade back, and I'm like, oh, my God, we got to get Denzel Mims. They do draft him, and I think, holy shoot, we just got you know a starting wide receiver for the next 5, 10 years something that we haven't had in so long. And I believe that he had that ability. And at times for the Jets, he flashed it, but he had no consistency. It seemed like he was always kind of lost between the offensive coordinators and his responsibilities. And it seemed like, you know, we we blamed maybe Mike LaFleur or somebody else for not really resonating with him. But then you see through mini camps and things as you have Nathaniel Hackett, a new guy in the building trying to work with him and Aaron Rodgers trying to work with him. It seems like it wasn't going to work out again. And with five sure thing wide receivers on the Jets roster right now. Typically, they carry six for a season. And if they do that again this year, Denzel Mims being the sixth guy, not really playing special teams, not really becoming, he never really had that hunger or that drive or that passion. It didn't feel like, at least from what we saw or what we were told. And I think that the Aaron Rodgers offense is very, very complicated. And there's a lot of different things that he does. A small little motion before the snap could mean like, hey, change your route. I see something in the defense. You got to do it. And they need people that can pick up on that stuff instantly. Otherwise, you have huge communication breakdowns. That's part of the reason that you're going to see Randall Cobb playing a lot early this season. You're going to see Alan Lazard getting the ball a lot early this season as well because the chemistry between them and Aaron Rodgers, they're going to be able to do it week one, week two, week three. As the chemistry is built with the other players and the season goes on, I think that they're going to get a little bit less involved and the, the previous Jets are going to get more involved. But Denzel Mims, clearly not on the same page, not getting it going, and the experiment is over. It's a bummer, but we move forward with a better roster, and when your fifth or sixth wide receiver is being replaced, sometimes that's a good thing because we need to make this roster better. And if we're hanging on to the same people that weren't doing too much for us in years past and we're still there holding on to them, probably not going to get much this year either. Why don't we try to improve that position group, try to find somebody that can either do special teams, have a specialized role, maybe it's like kick returning, punt returning, gunning, something like that, or at the very least can just be a reliable player who's going to be really good at blocking, getting involved in the plays more than Denzel Mims was, earning their way onto the field. And 
it still isn't impossible or out of the question for the Jets to carry five wide receivers, not carry that sixth guy if they don't have one they're in love with, and then bring in an extra running back, offensive lineman, another tight end. Very possible for game days. So that's the news with Denzel Mims. At the end of the day, he had basically an equivalent career with the New York Jets as Stephen Hill had, and that's pathetic. That's just a real freaking shame for a guy that I was... I wasn't stoked about Stephen Hill because he hadn't proven anything in college. Denzel Mims, I was sold on him, and they turned out the same, and shows what I know. The Jets also released Will Parks, who was kind of a special teams and social media standout for the Jets, but they're going to look to replace him. If they can't, I mean, he still could end up on this squad because he's a veteran. He's been in the league for a long time. He's looking for work. Today they signed the entire rookie class officially with the signings of Will McDonald, our first-round pick, and Joe Tipman, our second-round pick. The Jets are officially done with all of that, so no drama there. The only kind of drama that we have or negativity around this team right now is the Jets just put Brees Hall, Randall Cobb, C.J. Uzama, and rookie Jarek Bernard Converse on the PUP, so physically unable to perform. Practices start tomorrow, at least I'm recording this on Wednesday, July 19th, so practices will begin on Thursday, and Brees Hall will not be active for them nor will Randall Cobb, C.J. Uzama, or Jarek Bernard Converse. These are all guys that you'd like to see playing, get in time with the team. But the good news about the PUP list at this point in time is you can be taken off of it at any time. There are no rules about how long you have to remain on it or whether or not you have to go to IR or the designations. It's just right now they're on PUP. They're not going to practice. And the day that Robert Sala or one of the coaches or players says, you know, he's ready to go, then boom, they're out there. So we hope specifically Brees Hall is ready to go sooner than later. Because there was word from Rich Semini today, or not today, but I guess in the past, he said that the indications are that Brees Hall is going to be ready for week one. And what that means is unknown to me. Does that mean he's going to be able to take five carries, playing at like 70%? Does it mean that he's going to be back to his form from last year, 100%? Brees Hall, he had some Adrian Peterson-like recovery from this injury, and he's ready to go full speed ahead. That's what I was hoping for, but now with the thought that he's on the PUP right now, it obviously doesn't bode well for the fact that he's going to be completely ready because he's not there right now. Understandable, but it just makes you wonder what the Jets have in their other running backs, what they're going to do in the free agent market, if they're going to add anybody else to that room to try to kind of weather the storm through Brees' recovery. But we're going to monitor all those guys to see just how available they're going to be for the first preseason game, the rest of preseason, and then when it really matters, week one against Buffalo. The other really big exciting news about the Jets, Quinn and Williams got extended. And this was a big deal because he wasn't going to be a Jet again if he didn't sign a contract with us. We had to figure out a way to keep him here. And it never really got too dramatic. He didn't really threaten to hold out. He just scrubbed his social media a little bit, changed his header there. Um, but at the end of the day, he's got a pretty cool agent and... She was easy to work with, and we got the deal done. We gave him a lot of money. We paid him a pretty penny, four years, $96 million with $66 million guaranteed. That's a massive guarantee, one of the biggest in the league. This is a massive contract in Jets history. The guy was worth it. He is the best or second-best defensive tackle in the entire league, in my opinion, and he's the second-highest-paid defensive tackle. Aaron Donald makes more, a ridiculous three-year, $95 million deal. Bananas. Quinn and Williams is worth this deal. It's a little bit more than like 
De'Aaron Payne, Dexter Lawrence, Javon Hargrave, a little better than all those. And he's, he's better than all those guys. I truly believe that. The thing about this contract is because it's so freaking big and he's basically guaranteed to make it at least money for the next three years from the Jets, sizable money, a big, big dent in our salary cap and our budget, he needs to live up to it now. He's getting paid for what he did last year, the year before, what he's become. So he's getting paid off of that, but now he has to live up to it. Because if he's given us 75% of what we were getting last year and he's getting eight sacks a year, we're going to be complaining. He had 12 sacks last year, 28 um, 28 quarterback hits, massive numbers for a defensive tackle. This guy is like the heart and soul of the defensive line, the best player on the team. He just needs to keep doing it now. Because now with that contract comes the burden of like, now you got to live up to it or we're going to be looking at you like, what the hell are we paying for? I believe he's going to be able to do it. I think he's going to earn that paycheck every single week. But I'm excited to watch it happen. So welcome back, Quinn Williams. Super happy to see the Jets taking care of one of their own. It sends a good message to the locker room. Other players that are drafted and things like, hey, a guy who did really well and performed is getting taken care of by his team, not just left to sail away to another squad. In the past, I think some people maybe thought the Jets weren't as good at doing that, taking care of their players. Maybe it's because they didn't draft good enough players to take care of or at the wrong positions or things just got unlucky, but it's a good sign for the Jets to do this. So very excited for Quinn and Williams and super happy to get to watch him for at least three more years of the Jets. And now the final piece of news here that I got, Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks, through Aaron Rodgers' words, is basically forced down the Jets' throats. We were one of four teams that were eligible to do it based on the parameters of not being in the playoffs recently, not having a new head coach, not having done the show recently. And we did it back in 2010. It was awesome. At that time, Woody Johnson and the Jets embraced it. Rex Ryan loved it. The team was all about, you know, we want to be seen as the best because the best place to be is when standards are super, super high. But this team kind of wants to just do its thing. We have a lot of young players. A lot of players are just trying to learn and get used to the systems and stuff. And they had great first years or great second years, but they still have a long way to go. A new quarterback. We got a lot of stuff to learn with him, new offensive coordinator. So people have to get on the same page pretty quick. Because this is an experiment that could last one year, maybe two years with Aaron Rodgers, we really don't have time to mess around. We kind of have to come out of the gate strong. We can't lose the first four games because people aren't on the same page. we got to hit the ground running from week one, and as little distractions as possible is best. So the Jets didn't want hard knocks. They have said, basically, that they're not going to cater to hard knocks. They're potentially not going to allow hard knocks to do videos in the rooms when they release players because they think it's inhumane. I completely agree with that. I think that as interesting as it can be watching the show, if a dude's life and career is potentially ending really doesn't need to be a camera in the room watching their reaction. They should just deal with that on their own terms. Tell us afterwards, whatever. But, yeah, so the Jets are going to play a little bit more hardball. In the past, you had teams like the Browns, the Lions, embracing hard knocks, wanting to do it. The Jets in 2010 wanted to do it. Heck, you had the Los Angeles Rams and Los Angeles Chargers did a combined year one year. They signed themselves up to do it. They weren't even teams that were on the list. They were just like, hey, can we do it this year? We want to do it. We want to show off our new stadium and our teams and everything and try to get some buy-in because you do get a little bit of fan engagement, build some young core audience, get some other people involved in your team when you're on Hard Knocks. But the Jets didn't want it. Either way, the spotlight was going to be there. I want as little distractions as possible because I'm taking this year seriously. We really do have to make it count for everything we're giving away for this whole project. But at the end of the day, with Aaron Rodgers there, 
with one Jet Stripes films being there, doing other, you know, take flight shows and things, Ascension, all those different shows the Jets do. They have cameras there all the time anyway. You already have Aaron Rodgers. You were already going to be selling out your training camp practices and everything like that. So a few more cameras. It's probably going to be a little annoying. Hopefully, hopefully the Jets are painted in a very positive light and show everybody just how cool we are. Could be a great opportunity for some exposure for Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson to get some new young fans and everything. Hope it doesn't get to their heads, but it's going to be at least cool for us from the sense that we're going to get more high-quality Jets content and see this team get to know them at an even higher level. So that first episode is going to air Tuesday, August 8th, which is going to be five days after the Jets play their Hall of Fame game against the Browns. It's going to talk about that, and then it's going to carry on through preseason up until right before the regular season. So that's the big one. The Jets on hard knocks, they were, without a doubt, the best option for the show. And not just because there were four teams that were available and the Jets were the best of those four. I don't think there's another team in the entire NFL that is more interesting at this point in time than the Jets. And fans of other teams would hate to hear that, and they would say that their team's more entertaining and stuff, and they don't want to hear more about the Jets, and we always get way too much noise and hype and stuff, just like a team like the Cowboys gets because we're in New York. But at the end of the day, the young players that we have that a lot of people haven't gotten to see at like a you know a high level, not a lot of saturation for Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, some of those guys, DJ Reed, guys that deserve a little bit more focus, a really cool head coach, a really cool general manager, the best culture in sports that we're building here, and then Aaron Rodgers on top of it with all these big-name stars and studs that we've got for a team that's about to play six primetime games and compete in the hardest division in the entire NFL. Yeah, sign me up. Ten times out of ten, if you're if you're HBO, like, get me the New York Jets. No wonder it was forced down our throats. There's no better option. There's no better. It's probably going to have the best hard knocks numbers of all time. And I bet there are less HBO subscribers than there used to be. But the show will still have probably record-breaking numbers. So let's get excited about that. Uh, now, we before we go over to, like, the training camp battles and previews and stuff, let's do a quick commercial break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We're going to talk about the upcoming schedule for the New York Jets as training camp begins. The Jets reported to training camp officially today. They will begin practicing tomorrow, which will be Thursday the 20th. Um, They are the first team in the league to report because of the Hall of Fame game coming up against the Browns, so we get an actual extra preseason game. Most teams at this point in time get three a year. The Jets will have four. That Hall of Fame game is going to be very cool because it's going to also have the enshrinement of Joe Klecko and Revis that weekend. So very awesome to see two Jets enshrined on the Hall of Fame. That's a big reason why the Jets are playing in the Hall of Fame game. The Browns obviously have, I think, was it Joe Thomas this year going in, so they've got a guy as well. Um, So that's really exciting. That's happening on August 3rd, which is like two weeks away. Which is just crazy to think. That's why the Jets are going to be practicing in pads right now, because in two weeks they're going to be hitting, and they need to make sure that they're in shape to hit and get hit, because... 
even though preseason is not the most important thing in the world, in terms of like the outcome of it, it is in terms of each player's individual performance because they're all fighting for a roster spot. They're fighting to earn their spot. They're trying to make sure that they are playing at the highest level and showing the coaches that, at least, you know, the non-starter players. So they're going to be hitting as hard as they can, proving as much as they can. you got to make sure these players are ready. So we can put the pads on. We start practicing ASAP to get ready for August 3rd. After that, we're going to have weekly preseason games. The next one will be the 12th of August against the Panthers. Then on the 19th of August against the Bucks, closing it out against the Giants on the 26th. We'll cut down the roster to 53 players. We're going to have two weeks to prepare prepare for week one against Buffalo. That's going to be September 11th in New York on Monday Night Football. Goosebumps. That is an absolutely absurd game. Monday Night Football, Aaron Rodgers, September 11th, coming out of the tunnel. Does he have an American flag? Is he running in like a jet? This whole team ready to freaking go against division rival, the Buffalo Bills, who think right now this is their division and they're primed for a Super Bowl. And we're trying to say, your time in the sun was over. You had your shot. You blew it. Just like the late 90s, you almost got it done, but you didn't. And now we're here to take it over. That's what we're hoping for. That's going to set the stage at such a great level. And you just hope the Jets come out swinging for that game. That was like the big, probably the big exciting piece for the schedule release when I saw it was like not only just playing the Bills week one, but playing Monday Night Football, which it's been so long since we played, and to do it on September 11th in New York City for Aaron Rodgers' first game at home. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's going to be goosebumps watching that game. It's going to be so expensive to get to that game. Sold out, rocking. One of the coolest games you can think of in recent memory. Other highlights from the schedule when it came out. The Jets had six have six primetime games coming up this year, so it's tied for the most in the entire league, and it's a lot. Last year we were playing like, it felt like every single week was Sunday at 1 o'clock. We had a Thursday night game and a couple 4 o'clock games, and then it was just 1 p.m. across the board, which I... You know, I kind of like that routine, kind of get used to it, going over to Father Time's house, making some snacks and everything, watching it at 1 o'clock, coming back, watching the 4 o'clock games. But this year, a lot more hangovers at work, a lot more late nights, a lot more spotlights for this New York Jets team. We're even playing on Black Friday. It's the first Black Friday game of all time. I think they're going to keep doing Black Friday games as the years go on. But 3 p.m., we're going to play that Black Friday against the Dolphins. It's another cool spot for the Jets. That's technically one of their primetime, you know, prime spotlight games, the only game going on. We've got a really tough schedule overall. We're playing the NFC East, which is probably the hardest division in the NFC. And then we're playing the AFC West, which is, other than ours, maybe the hardest division in the AFC. And then we have our own division, which is probably the hardest division in sports. Luckily, we get to play the Patriots. The Patriots schedule is a little harder because they have to play the Jets. So that's kind of cool. Um... Not having a great season last year, the Jets got pretty easy other three games. The other three wild card games the Jets are playing are against the Texans, the Browns, and the Falcons, so all potentially winnable games there. And I like the fact that in this year, 17-game schedule, the Jets are playing nine home games, eight away games. In a very important year, I would much rather have that one extra home game than away just to give us a little less travel, a little less jet lag, and a little bit more home court advantage. So that's kind of my... Team schedule highlights. That's all I got on the big schedule release. We'll talk about it as the weeks come up. We're going to do our weekly review and preview episodes every Tuesday following game days. So that's going to be when we're talking about you know each one specifically. 
Now, before we go over to do training camp stuff, offensive position battles, defensive position battles, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And today, I'm drinking a fat orange cat IPA called Stay at Home Dad with No Kids. It's pretty funny. Stay at Home Dad with No Kids is basically just, uh, you know, a guy like me staying home watching football, which would be the dream. Unfortunately, I have a job, but... The can is funny. If you've had Fat Orange Cat beer in your life, um, it's got good artwork on it, like a cartoon of a dad drinking a beer, no Crocs on, just socks on the couch, and a big Fat Orange Cat sitting on his tummy. It's 5.9% alcohol, and it's brewed out of North Haven, Connecticut. So I guess they collabed a 12% brewing company on this beer. I'd never had it before. But I went to Total Wine, and they had... A 12-pack of 12-ounce cans of this. I've never had it before, but I like that IPA in that 5.9 to 6.5% range. And I like fat orange cap beers typically. So I figured, hey, you can get a 12-pack of it. Might as well. I'm drinking it, and I'm liking it. It's a little bit more bitter, perhaps, than um, like a sea hag. But it's in that sort of family with the hoppiness of a Connecticut beer. I'm biased, but I think Connecticut has some of the best beer in the entire world. I love the stuff we brew here. And maybe everybody says that about where they live. But I'll tell you, we got some stuff here. Fat Orange Cat, you can find their beers. Try those. Kent Falls, Beard, Alvarium. I mean, there's tons of them all over. I can't even, I can't name them all because there's too many. But to have this 12% Brewing Company and Fat Orange Cat collabo in a 12-pack, which is kind of hard to find for IPAs that are good. It's not like the same all-day IPA and Lagunitas and little somethings and stuff that you seem to always see. It's nice to have an IPA like this in a big box. So that is this week's What's on Tap. Unfortunately, I do not have a father time this week. It kind of came out of nowhere making this podcast. I told my dad, gave him some time. He was uh, dealing with some stuff. Was unable to get one to me, so we're just doing the What's on Tap for a little fun segment. But we do get to do training camp battles, and that's arguably more fun than anything else we could do. Because we're talking offensive battles on this roster, and it starts with wide receiver. Because there's a big spot here now. With Denzel Mims potentially leaving, it's like, okay, now these players that are on the back end of the roster can really be fighting for that wide receiver six spot. Over the years, it's been like a Vincent Smith or a Jeff Smith kind of holding that for the last, like, five years. It was Vincent Smith for two, and then Jeff Smith for three, holding that last wide receiver spot. Now, Jeff Smith is gone. We have five sure-thing wide receivers in Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, Alan Lazard, McCole Hardman, Randall Cobb. That's five. We typically carry six for games. So who's that last guy going to be? And is it going to be based on a skill set that they have, youth, and ability to be a kick returner, punt returner, gunner, special teams impact, or what? And there's still a chance that they'd run with five. Like I said, they could run with five wide receivers on game days and have an extra tight end, running back, or offensive lineman. I think all of those positions make sense if you wanted to argue for them. But when you look at guys that could potentially be that six-man if they carry six, you're looking at Irvin Charles, who had a really nice preseason last year in good training camp last year but didn't end up making the final roster. He's back with a chance. We got an undrafted free agent, Jason Brownlee, who's nice and tall and has some ability. Deontay Spencer was a punt returner who's really, really small and shifty, but potentially can come in now that Braxton Berrios has gone as punt returner. 
If McCall Hardman doesn't win the job, does Deontay Spencer get that? Xavier Gibson, another young guy, much smaller than Jason Brownlee, but an undrafted free agent that can come in here and potentially fight for a spot. This is kind of uncharted territory for the Jets because a lot of years, like last year, we had, uh, I don't want to get their names wrong, but it was like Calvin Jackson and DJ Montgomery and some other players that were playing really well in preseason, but there wasn't a spot for them on the roster. We had six guys already with Denzel Mims and Jeff Smith rounding out the final four or the final six. Um, There was no room for one of those guys. Even if they played out of their minds, they would have to really do something incredible like Robbie Anderson to push a player off the roster. So a guy like Irvin Charles that did really well didn't get to stick. But now with that spot open, it's like, all right, who's going to be the best of this group? And then we'll decide if it's going to be a wide receiver or a different position. So I'm excited to see that wide receiver six really take shape. I also think it's interesting to watch the wide receivers themselves just to see who's going to get playing time because with five wide receivers and the Jets not running very many five wide receiver sets in the past, someone's not going to be playing early. I mean, McCole Hardman is expected to be on the back end of that roster. Where's Corey Davis going to factor in versus Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb? I know early on, if Randall Cobb is healthy, Aaron Rodgers is going to want him on the field just because he's got that consistency with him and that relationship. But Alan Lazard and Corey Davis are similar level players. Corey Davis might be a little bit more talented, in my opinion, obviously battling some injuries and stuff. Alan Lazard is an Aaron Rodgers guy, has worked with Nathaniel Hackett in the past. How is that all going to shake up? You know that Garrett Wilson's going to be on the field as much as possible, but they've got some good players there to feed. And if there's no injuries, I look forward to seeing how they split it up. So that's wide receiver, very cool offensive position battle. Running back is the next one, and this one's interesting for a few reasons. Brees Hall is number one running back when he's healthy, and he should be getting the lion's share of the carries when he's healthy. The question is, is he healthy right now, or do the Jets need another guy to step up and be running back one, or a split, you know, 1A, 1B, with Brees Hall not playing for weeks one through whatever, or who, or if Brees Hall's completely healthy and playing running back one, who's going to be that number two guy? And the guys that we have to choose from right now really are Michael Carter, Israel Abanaconda, and Zonovan Knight. And they all have their own things to them, right? Izzy Abanaconda is a rookie. Rookies have to prove themselves, make sure they don't fumble, be smart, good players and everything to earn a spot in the field. We've never seen him play. We don't know how, how dynamic he is at an NFL level. We know he was really good at Pittsburgh, played with some really, really good players over there, a really good offense and has done some stuff at a school that has turned out really good running backs, put up some really great numbers. So we're excited about that. But he's a rookie, so temper expectations. LaMichael Pirine never got good, and we had hopes from him for him coming out in the fourth round from Florida. Just never did anything. Zondervan Knight was an undrafted free agent that moved his way ahead of James Robinson last year and had some good games and hit the holes well. But he's one of those guys that if he's your running back one, like if Brees Hall's injured... It's just not good enough for this team right now to win games. It's not a guy that you can rely on for the running game, most likely. I mean, unless he's had a drastic improvement, he's a good, serviceable back that can pick up yards, but he's one of those guys that you would love to replace if possible because somebody's better. We would love Izzy to be better than Zonovan Knight because we'd still have Zonovan Knight as an option, but we would be a tier higher, a notch better at that position. And then Michael Carter, who had a great, promising rookie season, a horrible, dreadful second season, and now is coming back to an offense that's way more potent and powerful than ever before, with a quarterback who knows how to use running backs 
throw to running backs. And he's in a third his third year here, so he's got more experience than Izzy, Brees Hall, or Zonovan Knight. He's our most experienced back, and he's good at catching out of the backfield. If he can get his stuff together, I don't see him able to carry the number one running back load if Brees Hall's not there, but I do see him being a really, really nice weapon for Aaron Rodgers to get good receiving yards, to play some out of, uh, you know, pistols and shotgun formations, to get some good handoffs there, and to be potentially back to what he was his rookie season. Aaron Rodgers alone makes things way easier on an offensive line and running back in the sense that it's not just like stack the box, Zach Wilson can't throw. Even if the guy's open, he's probably not going to hit him. So let's just make sure that we sell out, stop the run like they did last year, made it hard on a guy like Michael Carter who doesn't break a lot of tackles. He's got good contact balance, but not a lot of broken tackles, doesn't have breakaway speed. But now with teams a little bit more nervous about Rodgers, maybe on their heels a little bit more at snap, it could give Michael Carter a good opportunity. So there are rumors about the Jets bringing in Dalvin Cook. Sounds like the Jets don't want to pay $6 million. They may be going in a little bit lower than $6 million for a bid for him. Obviously, Cook wants more money. He could return to the to the Minnesota Vikings for $6 million. So does he want to put his tail between his legs and return there for a contract that's a little bit more money? Does he want to play for potentially a winner? It's not great for the running back market for him to be playing for $5 million as a free agent because of his skill level. But I'd love to see him brought in here, obviously. Brees Hall should be the number one running back when he's healthy. But the fact that we don't have time to waste, we need to win. We need to have guys in case guys go down. We need to have as deep a unit as possible. Sure, bring him in. Just don't break the bank because we have to figure out Aaron Rodgers' contract. Get rid of as much money from his contract as possible so that we're not eating $40 million for the next three years after Aaron Rodgers is gone. You can't just spend all of the money and be ridiculous with it all. Got to be smart still. That's running back. When you look at offensive tackle... This one's interesting because every single guy has, like, their question marks, their red flags about them. Dwayne Brown is really old. He was old two years ago. He came back, played with the Jets really old, got injured, still really old, only plays left tackle, which is a position that Mekhi Becton wants to play. It makes things a little bit difficult there, and obviously Dwayne Brown being a really good veteran that you can trust, but also being a guy who's coming off of injuries and is the age he is, you still have to have your hesitancy with him playing 17 games, might not happen. You have Billy Turner, who was brought in from the Packers, and is a pretty good player, and he can definitely start a tackle. I think he's an upgrade over whoever we had starting last year. Elijah Bear Tucker obviously was really good, but he should be playing guard. Um, we hope he's not playing tackle again this year. So Billy Turner is going to be brought in, and he's going to have an opportunity to compete with Mekhi Becton. If Mekhi Becton is finally healthy and able to play, that's ideal the ceiling for Mekhi Becton is so high. I mean, his rookie season, I was sitting there saying like, oh my God, this guy's going to go to the Hall of Fame because this is how he's starting as a rookie and he's just going to keep getting better. Have a bunch of knee injuries, miss two years, and now come back, be told you're playing the right side. He wants to play left. The only real guy that we have ready to start on the O-line, it feels like, is Dwayne Brown, has to play left tackle. So does Mekhi Becton go back to the right side where he thinks potentially he could get more injured? Is he pissed about it? Is he even healthy? I don't know. So you've got all these question marks up there with those top three. Then you got to figure out behind him, we signed Yadni Kajus from the Patriots. We still have Max Mitchell, who left last year for personal health reasons, but his back end was okay. And then we bring in, in the mid-rounds of this draft this year, Carter Warren out of Pittsburgh, who I think potentially could be really good. But he seems like he's a left tackle as well. 
So maybe it's something like, if you can convince Mekhi Becton that right tackle is fine, just do it because you've been injured for two years. You're going to have to do this. You're not coming back next year, most likely, onto this team. So you're a right tackle or you're not playing. And you're going to have not played for three years and then try to get a contract. Not great. So maybe you do Dwayne Brown, starting left tackle, Carter Warren as his backup. You do Billy Turner and Mekhi Becton battle for right tackle, a really interesting battle there. Max Mitchell is your swing guy who can be healthy on game day or something. You can play both if you want to have a two-for-one and you need to have just, like, one backup tackle. You can play both sides at a whatever. If your starting tackle goes down, you're screwed anyway. And then Yadni Kajus just kind of tries to make the roster, stay healthy, earn his way onto another team, or if somebody, hopefully not, but if somebody goes down and gets injured, he'd have an opportunity there. That's kind of how I see it playing out, but that means it's a huge battle at right tackle between Becton and uh, Billy Turner. Super exciting to watch. And then in the center position, we signed Connor McGovern to that baby deal, like so small for a player who was really good. And then we draft Joe Tippman out of Wisconsin, who's going to be probably a really good center in his own right. You had a position battle there. Is the veteran center who's been here and plays at a B level able to beat out the rookie center who's never played to start with Aaron Rodgers and maybe has a ceiling of like A, A minus. You hope that Joe Tippin is that good right out the gate, but you don't expect uh, you don't expect a rookie to be a veteran with Aaron Rodgers at this point in time. Maybe down the road he does. Wes Schweitzer, another guy that kind of factors into that mix. Is he going to be the first man up behind Connor McGovern, or is it going to be Joe Tippman as a rookie first man up if something happens, say, week one, week two? I think that's pretty interesting. So that is our offensive position battles. We're going to do the defensive side, but before that we do have to take our last commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We're going to talk training camp defensive position battles, and it is spicy, starting with the defensive line. The defensive line really comes down to the rotation because we have so many, so many good players, and all of them are going to play. The question is just, who starts? Who's in on first down? Who's in on third down? Big points at the end of the game. Who's our pass rush specialist? Who's going to be the guy in fourth and goal? All these different situations and scenarios. How are the Jets going to stack it up? And then how is the snap count playing time percentage going to be split between these guys as everybody kind of needs a shot on the field to get into a rhythm and to make their kind of impact felt? You look at the outside guys, and we are loaded. Carl Lawson, who I think is going to be the best he's ever been this year. John Franklin Myers, who you can rely on every single game. Jermaine Johnson, promising young second player who could be awesome. Bryce Huff, pass rush specialist, welcome back. Michael Clements, scariest man on earth. And then Will McDonald, a rookie who we've never seen, but maybe has crazy athleticism to get after the quarterback. That's stacked outside. No matter how you put it, no matter what grouping you have, even if guys go down, it's stacked. We hope nobody goes down. We love it. It's a great room. I just like to see how it's going to shake up. Who's going to get playing time? Who's the starters? Who's the best? Who's the second best? Who's the best at what situations? Very cool. A dark horse candidate for that outside group, Deslin Alexander, undrafted free agent out of Pittsburgh. I like Deslin Alexander. I think he could be good, but a big mountain to climb with all those guys ahead of him. It's going to be really tough to make the roster, but maybe a practice squad player for the Jets. Then you look on the inside of the defensive line. 
Again, it's loaded. Quinton Williams, best player on the defense, followed by Al Woods, run stuff specialist. Quinton Jefferson, pass rush specialist. Solomon Thomas, Jets man of the year. Another loaded unit, four guys there that are going to be, I mean, Al Woods is going to be playing more rundowns. Quinton Jefferson is going to play more passing downs. Solomon Thomas can, you know, fill in as needed at a C, C-plus level. Michael Clemens can probably play inside a bit. John Franklin Myers can probably play inside a bit. So a lot of options there. And then Dark Horse candidate, Tanzel Smart, back in the mix. He's like 28, 29 years old, and he's back in the mix every single year. He has a really good training camp and a really good preseason, and he plays in like that third, fourth quarter of preseason game number one and just is better than so many people on the field. And you're like, man, this guy's got to make the roster. But every year he's just like just shy. That's that defensive line rotation that I'm looking forward to seeing how it shakes up. When you look at outside linebacker, that's another position that I think is a real position battle, but this one is a lot more ambiguous. I have no idea who it's going to be outside of C.J. Mosley and Quincy Williams because C.J.'s going to start in the middle. Quincy got re-signed. He's going to be starting outside, but when you don't have Quan Alexander and the Jets don't bring back Marcel Harris either, it means that somebody else is going to have to be playing some pretty meaningful minutes when Quan or Marcel were playing. And the guys that we have would be like, Jamie and Sherwood, who we don't really want to see playing. He's not that good a player yet. Thompson Azraldine, who has never even gotten slightly good. Chaz Surratt, who the Jets picked up at the end of last year and didn't do much. He ended up getting cut by his former team. Jets pick him up. Didn't do much for us. A rookie, Zaire Barnes. Is it possible it's him? I mean, we got to figure out that spot. Obviously, we'd like to run nickel cornerback frequently. You know, maybe an extra defensive back or or defensive lineman or something to not have to go three linebackers as often. But we got to figure out, if we're not getting Quan back, who it's going to be in his place. So that's going to be a big position to watch. I have no idea who even the, the lead man would be right now for that. Because Sherwood probably is the best of that group, but I think of him more as an inside guy than an outside guy because he doesn't really have a lot of speed. But we'll see. I think cornerback is also a pretty interesting position battle behind Sauce and DJ Reed on the outside, because we've got Michael Carter as our slot guy. Javelin Gidry can be his backup if needed. When you talk about the outside guys, Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed starting every single play, if healthy. Outside of them, Brandon Eccles is suspended for the beginning of the season. Bryce Hall has been progressively getting worse and worse every single year somehow. He seems slower and worse than ever. And then you've got, like, Justin Hardy, who's technically designated as a cornerback, but isn't really a cornerback on this team is so old, he's probably not going to learn how to play it now. We've got a couple of veterans who have been, you know, castaways from their former teams in Jimmy Moreland and Craig James. We've got a couple of rookies like Jared Bernard Converse and Derek Langford. But of that group, like, who are you comfortable putting in on the outside if Sauce or DJ Reed go down week one? Is it going to be Bryce Hall? I mean, last time we've seen Bryce Hall play an actual meaningful game, he was getting torched every single play, it felt like. I would say that Brandon Eccles, even though Brandon Eccles isn't very good at this point, I would say that he would be the guy that I would trust the most to put outside, but he's suspended right away. So they're going to have to figure out pretty quick who's going to be ready to play those minutes in a big game against a Stefan Diggs or something in week one if we have somebody banged up. That's going to be a very interesting position to watch. Then I got safety as my last defensive position battle that I'm pretty interested in because we know it's going to be Jordan Whitehead. And then I assume it's going to be Adrian Amos as the front runner, but I would like to see 
a couple of veteran Jets returning guys, Ashton Davis or Tony Adams, try to compete with him for that spot, try to earn it from him. I don't expect they will, but I'd like to see who comes out as the next man up. Is it going to be Ashton Davis finally able to play for the Jets, or is he about to go the way of Denzel Mims and be out of here? Tony Adams, he was kind of starting to look okay, but not really starting caliber level for what we hope is going to be a top three defense in the league. But did he get a little bit better? And then two rookies, defensive back again, Jarek Bernard Converse, if he gets off the pup list, can he play safety and do a good job? Another undrafted free agent that could be decent is Trey Dean. But these guys, again, I mean, they're undrafted rookies. These are guys that are very far from being able to play at an NFL level right now. We have to rely on them. So you assume Whitehead and Amos, but to see how the third corner, the third safety spot, who that goes to, who's playing on special teams, and if anybody goes down, you know, who's going to go up. So safety is going to be interesting. A couple of other positions and players to watch just throughout the team. Return man, I think right now it has to go to Nicole Hardman. You look on the Jets' depth chart, um, not their official one, but on Google I was able to find some depth charts of people's guesses, and they have Izzy Abanaconda as potentially the number two return man. I don't know what his ability to do that in the NFL is going to be, but they do have a guy like Deontay Spencer, who's a wide receiver that has done kick returns and punt returns before. The guy's really small. I don't know how he's like 5'9 or something and really, really small. So kind of a risk factor there. I think I've seen him fumble on punt returns before, which I don't ever want to see. But he is a return guy that potentially could be fighting for that spot if Mikkel Hardman doesn't get it. Talking about the quarterbacks, we know we we got Aaron Rodgers, and he should be playing every single game, every single snap. But is Zach Wilson getting better? If Zach Wilson has to play, is he the same 50% completion percentage, no confidence, chaos Zach? Or is he slightly better after learning with Aaron Rodgers? And is Zach Wilson, if he doesn't get any better, is he bad enough to lose to a Chris Streveler or Tim Boyle? Chris Streveler is a novelty type of player who can do some fun running things and a couple of flashy stuff here and there, but he's not really a, a ready to be the number two quarterback behind Aaron Rodgers, is he? And Tim Boyle is one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, and he's here because he was a former Packer. He can help install the offense with Aaron Rodgers and everything, but we don't want him playing ever. He's a very bad quarterback as far as I've ever seen. So Zach Wilson, if he's going to be that just guaranteed number two guy, if they're basically handing it to him saying, hey, you're the number two guy, then he better get damn better. Because if he comes in for a game or a series or anything and costs us the game in a season that we have to win right now, that's not going uh, to be very good in many Jets fans' eyes. A player to watch, I think, in the tight end room is Jeremy Rucker because I think that he is potentially the future tight end for this New York Jets team, but right now we've got two really good players ahead of him in C.J. Uzoma and Tyler Conklin. So the path to the field is is pretty difficult to get playing time. But Jeremy Rucker will get opportunities in the preseason, and if he's as good as I think he is, I think he's going to stand out pretty heavily when he comes in as that, that tight end, and you're like, man, who's this guy? I think that we're going to see some really good play from him. He's going to make us kind of believe that he is the future. And if something happens to Tyler Conklin or C.J. Uzoma, we're going to feel pretty good with Jeremy Ruckert coming in. But that remains to be seen. We still have to see it happen on the field first. I want to see how Corey Davis does in this offense. Because with the logjam at wide receiver of Packers that have chemistry with Aaron Rodgers and Lazard and Cobb, a future superstar in Garrett Wilson, and then like a speedster in McCole Hardman, you've got Corey Davis who's getting paid over $10 million this year, was a former team captain, was an 
top five pick in the NFL. He's got all the ability in the world. He's a good guy, strong. He's been injured a little bit. He drops the ball here and there. But he's a guy that I would think could get on a rhythm with a guy like Aaron Rodgers and be, honestly, one of the better receivers that Aaron Rodgers has played with. Aaron Rodgers likes smart, hardworking wide receivers that he can trust, and you've seen that throughout his career. The guys like the Greg Jennings and the Devontae Adams, you know, Jordy Nelsons and stuff, the people that he trusts the most are pretty cerebral type of guys that are on very good communication with him. And I would think that Corey Davis is veteran experience within the league and his overall ability and work ethic would cater pretty well to him and Aaron Rodgers having a pretty good chemistry. It just may take a few weeks, but I, I really look forward to seeing how Corey Davis fits in this offense. And we're like three, four months removed from basically everybody on Twitter and any Jets blog saying that Corey Davis would never be on this roster at this point in time. There was no chance that Corey Davis would ever be here. He was getting cut, he was getting traded, yada, yada, whatever it would be. And here we are with Corey Davis, a guy that I wanted to have on the roster, and he's still here. It's just going to be difficult for all these guys to get onto the field. And I look forward to seeing him earn that spot because he is a damn good player, in my opinion. And the last one that I'm like really excited to watch is Jermaine Johnson because I think that he started a little slow for the Jets but has a ton of ability. I mean, he was a first-round pick that we had to get last year in the first round. And he made some really great plays, a sack against Josh Allen, a couple really nice other plays throughout the season. He flashed at times, had some injuries, Came out a little slow, but was good in the run game, set the edges. And they're saying right now, at least I heard like Quinn and Williams say in a press conference, that he's really impressed with the way that uh, Jermaine Johnson's been playing, the way that he looks, the shape that he's in. He singled him out specifically and said, like, watch out for Jermaine Johnson this year. And I like to hear that, especially for a second-year player that was just scratching the surface last year, because he's one of those guys that could become really good really fast at a position that, like, or a player that we weren't, weren't necessarily expecting, like, that type of results from. You're expecting it from Carl Lawson and John Franklin Myers, and then after that, you're like, oh, we'll see. So, and if Jermaine Johnson steps into that stratosphere of like being a Carl Lawson-level player, you're like, holy, good luck to any offensive line going up against this Jets team. Jermaine Johnson being great this year is the type of thing that would make us the number one defense in the league, along with some you know good injury fortune. But I'm stoked to see Jermaine Johnson, a guy that my dad really wanted to draft last year, that I was excited to get when we did, especially after getting already Garrett Wilson and Sauce and Breeze afterwards. What a draft. Let's go, Jermaine. Prove Joe Douglas right one more time in that 2022 rookie class. So that's kind of the uh, the main takeaways and points that I have at this point in time. Um, offensive players, defensive players, special teams, just guys to watch. News and notes around the team kind of gets us Set for the first practice. It's going to be Thursday the 20th. Jets are going to continue to practice throughout the next couple weeks. Play that Hall of Fame game against the Browns. A few more preseason games after that. And then, holy moly, we're talking football. Not too far from now. A month and a half. It's going to be It's going to be a fun ride to get there. There's going to be a lot of headlines. There's going to be a hard knock story going along with it. There's going to be all sorts of training camp news and buzz and press conferences and cameras. I heard that the I was gonna, I was going to look into the the uh, training camp tickets to go this year, and I always kind of like forget when they go up for sale. I don't I don't get alerted of that stuff. I probably have to sign up for like a Jets.com newsletter or something to know when that's happening. But the first I hear of them being available is like, oh yeah, they sold out in four minutes. Every single training camp practice that the public is allowed to go to. It's like, oh okay, well, 
maybe next year. But there's a lot of hype around this team, and for good reason. So I am excited to do this podcast. I've done it for, I think it's been like six years now, and they've sucked every single one of those years. To different levels they've sucked, but like we did the whole Sam Darnold experience before he was drafted. I think I started with Josh McCown as the quarterback. Watched Sam Darnold get drafted, that whole experience. Watched Zach Wilson get drafted, that whole experience. And now we're doing Aaron Rodgers. And that's awesome. And I can't wait. The podcast schedule is going to be, I'm doing this one today, and then I think um, I'm going to go and do another one after the second preseason game against the Panthers and do a two-for-one, talking two preseason games. And then I'm going to do one after the fourth preseason game and the cutdowns. And that'll be kind of like, a, you know, closing out the preseason. And then I'm going to try to do, I think I'm going to try to throw one more in there if I can, a season preview against the Bills once the full roster cutdowns are done and we're, like, really prepping for that team. Maybe just a quick one micro-episode just to talk about the Jets against the Bills on Monday Night Football, what to look for, what we're excited about. But, yeah, that's basically what I got upcoming for this podcast. And I wanted to mention, if you or somebody that you know is interested in writing about the New York Jets on a blog, reach out to me. Because Fans First Sports Network is trying to put together some team sites, kind of like how Gangrene Nation is part of SB Nation. I did the podcast for them. We want to have, like, a Jets site with some Jets blogs and stuff going up. I'm no writer. I don't write about the Jets. I tweet about the Jets. And I do a podcast when I can get on the microphone. I do that, and that's about it. So if there's somebody that you know or you yourself want to write about the Jets and be interested to do some blogs for us, reach out to me, at Jets underscore Dan on Twitter. Let me know. I'll get you in touch with the right people and, and see if it, if it would be a good fit. But I'd love to have some extra you know, allies in here in this Jets circle for this fun season upcoming. I think it's a good time to be involved talking about it. We weathered a lot of storms as Jets fans. And if you've been listening to this podcast for years, you weathered a lot with me. And now this year we may finally get to reap the benefits of, was it two rebuilds? <laughs> An unlimited amount of rebuilds. We'll put it that way. That's all I got for this one. Rate, review, subscribe anywhere podcasts are found. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. I will see you back on this podcast after the second preseason game against the Panthers. Let's go Jets. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is the Jet Life. (laughs) 